Hello, hello everyone. A warm welcome, and let's talk some horror. Okay, so as we discussed in the trailer to this episode, Horror Weekly isn't just a podcast, but an online community of horror fans almost half a million strong. And over the years, we have asked those fans variations of the question, what's an underrated horror franchise? Or in my favorite way to ask it, what's a favorite horror franchise of yours that isn't Elm Street, Friday the 13th, Halloween, or Scream? And over those years, we've gotten more than 20,000 answers, ranging from the Evil and Living Dead series to Hellraiser to Phantasm to Child's Play, you name it, to more modern ones like Final Destination and The Conjuring and Insidious series, to pretty niche ones like Maniac Cop, Wishmaster, or Reanimator, which I love. I actually thought since we'd asked this question so many times over so many years, that every significant or even like mostly insignificant horror franchise had been mentioned at least once. But no, it turned out one of my very favorite horror franchises of all time was never brought up in the comments. Not once. At least specifically. I'll explain that in a second. And that's more than 20,000 comments we went through. And we're proud to say that just two days before recording this, we posted the question again to our community, and that post got another 2,000 comments, and again, nobody named this franchise. This is update, up-to-date info, y'all. So that's why we're calling this episode The Secret Horror Franchise. It's right there in front of our eyes, but unseen somehow. So now it's time for the big reveal, coming up right after this. So, what is the secret horror franchise? No more waiting. It is the Invisible Man series. So, when I had said earlier that this franchise was never specifically mentioned, there were quite a few comments on the pages that said something like the Universal Monster series. But weirdly, almost every single one of those comments didn't just say Universal Monsters and leave it there. They said the Universal series, especially Frankenstein or the Universal series, especially the Creature of the Black Lagoon, or Universal series, especially Dracula. But not in a single comment, out of all of them, did anyone type the words Invisible Man. Now, we know a lot of people love the original Invisible Man for sure, but it makes me wonder how many people think there's a series at all. And of those people, it makes me wonder how many of them think none of the rest of the movies in the series are horror. And I love the Invisible Man franchise. The first movie is my favorite Universal monster. Has been since I was a kid. He's so sinister but vaguely sympathetic, but truly a monster. His body kill count is 122, I think, which has to be the highest for a Universal monster in the original runs. And interestingly, in the original Invisible Man, Claude Rains is only truly invisible in two scenes where he's not clothed and also not manipulating objects but just a pure voice. And it makes it a really uncanny effect when it happens. 
It's got Gloria Stewart of Titanic fame in it. It's got Henry, Henry Travers of Clarence in It's a Wonderful Life fame in it. Just a great cast. And Claude Rains, who is amazing, but I read a really interesting anecdote about him that said he was a very selfish actor as he got more famous. He would try to maneuver himself physically in scenes to take up more of the camera and block other actors from getting more of the screen than he would. I think someone called him the human eclipse. That's an odd trait for someone who shoots to fame as an invisible person. <laughs> a super talented and smart film director who's a friend of mine said to me recently that he thinks the Invisible Man franchise is the highest quality one across all the films of all the Universal series, which surprised me considering the competition. And also, despite my love for the first one, I hadn't seen any of the other old Invisible Man movies from the 40s. So I decided to watch them all, starting with The Invisible Man Returns, and I fell in love with that movie. I fell so hard. The way some people fell this year for Terrifier 2 or Pearl. But before we go on and dive into the franchise, we have to define the Invisible Man franchise. Clearly the first run of Universal movies are probably in, even though some of those movies had very little to do with the first one. Starting in 1933 with the Claude Rains and James Whale classic, we get next The Invisible Man Returns, The Invisible Woman, Invisible Agent, The Invisible Man's Revenge, and then, of course, Abbott and Costello meet The Invisible Man. And there's no question in my mind that Lee Wannell's 2020 Invisible Man is in the franchise, even though it flips the story and tells it from the POV of the opposite character. But we have a character named Griffin, and there are some great Easter eggs in The New Invisible Man, like the hat and coat creature that Griffin builds in Elizabeth Moss's room that looks exactly like the OG Invisible Man, and like the wound-around-the-head-bandaged patient in the hospital that freaks Elizabeth Moss out for a moment. I'll touch on this movie a little bit later. I think the movie that's most puzzling to me in terms of in the franchise or not is Hollow Man. I'm agnostic to that. I could probably be convinced either way. Okay, last thing before we jump in, I just want to talk briefly about invisibility as a type or flavor of scare. That might sound odd to you, but I kind of think of invisibility as a category of scare, like jump scare or background or lurking scare, because there's really nothing else like it in its effect. So, Let's say you were listening to this podcast right now with headphones or AirPods and someone comes up and pulls those pods out of your ear and you turn around to look and see nobody there but vaguely feel a presence. That's a different kind of scare than if someone holding a machete crashes through your window right now or if the ground or in the room you're in is rumbling beneath your feet and all of a sudden you look out the window and a kaiju is stomping down the street. It, the kind of scare does have something in common with how a ghost would scare you, but you'll notice ghosts don't physically interact with their victims very much, if at all. Invisible people do almost nothing but interact with their victims, and it's particularly creepy in its own special way. All right, so let's get into the franchise first with the second film in the series, the one that made me want to record this and that I fell in love with, which is The Invisible Man Returns. I'm going to focus for a lot of this episode on this first sequel because it's the movie that turned this into an amazingly interesting franchise in the first place. 
And it's the movie whose success, along with Son of Frankenstein, showed that the first wave of monster movies from the early 30s wasn't a wave at all. It was a flood. The synopsis of The Invisible Man Returns is this. The owner of a coal mining operation, falsely imprisoned for killing his brother, takes a drug to make him invisible, despite its side effect, gradual madness. After escaping jail, it's a race between that oncoming madness and clearing his name. So we start the movie with typically glorious universal title cards. I think it's one of my favorite title card starts in all of universal history. Just a really unique text effect with the title itself, great music, and a background of foggy atmosphere from a fully built and absolutely beautiful outdoor set that the director, uh, Joseph May, insisted on building, making the movie both longer and more expensive than Universal had wanted, but it was so worth it. Unlike Dracula, which promises a lot of atmospheric Transylvania, but except for a few shots, basically confines us to Dracula's castle, at least in the opening, the Invisible Man is going to prowl the countryside, and his pursuers will prowl the countryside after him. It all has a real keep-off-the-moors kind of vibe, which is great. Also, we see in the titles that the cast will be incredible. Vincent Price in his very first horror role, Sir Cedric Hardwick, the real villain, that's a villainy name, Nan Gray, who is just fantastic as Price's fiance. John Sutton as the dead Claude Rains character's not-mad scientist brother. Alan Napier, that's right, Pennyworth from the TV Batman, and the person who gave Jack Nicholson's Joker his name, and Cecil Kellaway, who nearly steals the entire movie as the cigar-chain-smoking and completely hilarious but fearless Inspector Samson. We open on a great scene of Vincent Price's staff waiting in dread as we're just two hours away from Price's character being executed, unless there's a reprieve. Well, one staff guy doesn't care, but the rest are distraught. The guy who doesn't care actually has a great line where he says, what do you know what goes on inside a man's mind? He may look like a gentleman, but inside he may have a hankering for murder, which is great, but describes Hannibal Lecter better than it does our current invisible man. But the butler he's arguing with has an amazing comeback. (laughs) He says, I think, I could put subtitles on this. He says, It's no good arguing with a man who has an apology for a brain, which I don't know what that means, but I love it. I'm going to try to use it in conversation. So we keep getting quoted ominous blocks of time in this movie. Two hours before someone is executed, just 10 minutes to say goodbye to a loved one forever, seven days before you go completely stark raving mad. And the music ticks away in the background as we get sinister shots of clocks and calendars. The next scene shows Sir Cedric pretending to try to free his cousin Vincent Price from prison, even though he's the one who framed him for the murder, spoiler, and Nan and John silently signaling to each other when they realize no one can help them that it's time to go to DEFCON 1, the invisibility prison escape plan. Then we get a great, the warden discovers Andy has escaped from Shawshank scene after Price disappears, but, but more comical, obviously. Sir Cedric immediately goes to the new Dr. Griffin and says both Nan and Price have vanished, and he knows Dr. Griffin's involved, but he pretends to want to meet with them just to help them, give them some escape money or assistance somehow, 
though he's clearly planning to betray them as soon as he finds out where they are. And Dr. Griffin is tempted to tell him, but he doesn't. You can see it on his face. It's a, it's a great character note. The police, of course, are puzzled by the vanishing and call in Inspector Sampson, who just immediately puts it all together. <laughs> he's like, come on. Someone vanished from prison into thin air. The prisoner was friends with the invisible serum guy's brother. He just goes straight to Griffin's lab. He's not messing around. One of the best things about this whole movie is how Dr. Griffin springs Price from jail with his invisibility serum or potion or whatever, and then goes back to his lab to work on an invisibility and madness antidote. But, like, everyone knows Dr. Griffin did it. So they all keep showing up and interrupting his work, which annoys him to no end. He does a great job portraying that. But it's really hard to see how he didn't see it coming since he's literally the only person in this world with access to something like a superpower. So anyway, the inspector interrogates Dr. Griffin in his lab. And when he enters, he exhales more cigar smoke than an entire gaggle of gangsters and goodfellas could have done. Like when I first watched this, I didn't know why he was doing it. And it just looked like someone defiling a medical lab. It looked gross almost. But it turns out he's doing it on purpose. He's using the smoke to try to outline where the invisible man might be hiding in the room or perhaps if he's trying to sneak up on him or escape. It's so smart. And in this scene, we discover that the movie has changed the invisibility potions name from the previous movie where it was monocane to duocane in this one which I like because I think the duo thing is hinting to us that we're in Jekyll and Hyde territory, and that's definitely how Vincent Price is going to play it. The inspector also drops a great line on the way out. He says, Doctor, you must realize, if the monster murders, the scientist hangs. He says it super cheerfully, but it's a great threat. The Invisible Man and Nan Gray reunite, along with the most annoying dog in the history of movies, But back at Griffin's lab, we are treated to an absolutely amazing scene of the doctor testing antidotes on invisible guinea pigs with their little empty harnesses like squirming around when they're supposed to be getting poked and prodded by needles. It's it's amazing. Don't worry, no fake animals were harmed during this one of my favorite scenes in the movie. The invisible man gets closed in on eventually and goes on the run back out into that amazing outdoor set, thank God, because I wanted to see more of it. But not before dropping a really sinister, I'll be back, like literally Terminator style, just 44 years before that movie comes out. So I'm going to skip a lot of the plot here because it's pretty intricate thriller stuff and just get to the next horror element, which is where the Invisible Man goes on an extended spree of tormenting one of his enemies, a character named Mr. Spears. And I really wanted to highlight this because it's here we get the very first use in movie history, come on, of Vincent Price's voice as a pure weapon of terror. His voice, the way he uncorks this diabolical pre-thriller laugh, all of this is scarier than his invisible powers. He pretends to be a ghost, and it's like so mocking and chilling and nuts, just blood-curdling. So both Price and Claude Rains before him, whose his vocal cords were damaged and altered during World War I, were chosen for their voices, after all, since we barely were going to see their faces, right? A little later, we get a truly haunting scene 
where the inspector's cigar smoke trick works for a second, just for a second we get a ghostly outline of the Invisible Man in smoke in a place where we do not expect him to be at all. It is still scary to this day. So good. Then the Invisible Man gets forced out into the rain, and we see a variation on that effect where he's outlined with water this time. Also pretty amazing. And Price is going mad by this point. But he's also almost like rightfully out to murder Sir Cedric, who has like ruined his life. The inspector kicks into full laid-back but ferocious Daniel Craig in Knives Out mode. He brings in like this sinister phalanx of a smoke-blasting crew in full-on hazmat suits. But that's kind of his first mistake because it gives Vincent a chance to knock one of them out, take his suit, and like lurking around the Death Star pretending to be a Stormtrooper style – he can now move about freely. He eventually reunites with his fiance inside the house while they're hunting for him on just a great, great line because he's looming over her in this suit after he's been tracking her for a while. She's trying to get away from him, thinking he's like a scary cop in the, the cop that chases Janet Lee in Psycho style. And she just looks up at him and pleads with him to leave her alone. And he says in his amazing, calm, unflappable Vincent Price voice, but darling, I'm never going to leave you alone. And she immediately realizes that it's him and just lets this amazing, relieved smile out. Just just movie magic. We meet some cops standing around in the fog outside, wondering if the Invisible Man is also a vampire or a creature of the night, scaring the crap out of each other for some reason. And they get what they deserve, a, a fake-out cat jump scare. Good for them. And then the end sequences begin as Price goes full mad, ruthlessly torturing someone in an almost hanging fashion, similar to what happens to Bruce Willis in Sin City. He turns on his friend, Dr. Griffin, and then he even turns on his fiance, fiance, which is sad, who conspired to drug him and chain him up so to prevent him from harming himself and others. And it's here we get a taste of... Price's acting range as he dials the mad tone way back and pretends he's glad he's been chained up and neutralized in a really calm, hypnotic, almost defeated voice, only to lure Griffin close in once he offers him a glass of water and just clobber him, getting the keys and freeing himself. So after a wild chase with floating guns and, and invisibly driven cars, we, we, he kills Sir Cedric after Cedric has confessed to the frame-up, but Vincent Price gets shot while doing it. Price escapes, steals a scarecrow's clothes after he leaves town in the middle of a field, having a perfectly insane conversation with the stair- scarecrow as he steals his clothes. It's amazing. And then he staggers back into town to surrender himself, clearly the worse for his injuries. And even as he's staggering back into the town, pretty much with like defeated body language, if you could do body language as an invisible man, he's still menacing. Just scares the crap out of the crowd. Um, So the problem here is after he surrenders himself, he's dying from his wounds and he needs surgery. But you can't operate on an invisible man. (laughs) That's an interesting twist. I liked it. They try one last antidote in desperation, and naturally it works, and we see Price's face for the first time. He had also needed a blood transfusion, and in an amazing moment just before, 
The crowd he was just terrifying, they all leaped to offer blood donations to save his life. Because he's really not a villain like in the first movie. He's a good guy. So it, it's, it's a weird moment in a horror movie. It, it would be like if the torches and pitchfork mob and Frankenstein like beat him up, the, beat the creature up, and then hoisted him on their shoulders and carried him to a hospital afterwards. It's weird, but cool. So Price's life is saved, and his name is cleared, even though his body has become uncleared. And by the way, in the unclearing, where the effects of him gradually becoming visible, this movie is old, and these effects are still better than anything in Hollow Man. And him and his fiancée are reunited. That's the end. So The Invisible Man Returns made triple its budget back and set the stage for many, many more horror sequels. In my opinion, it's one of the greatest all-time horror sequels, and those aren't easy to do. It's on par with Evil Dead 2 or Exorcist 3 or Aliens, especially in terms of trying new things out, trying to push past its predecessor while keeping the things from the past that just worked. It was nominated for a Best Special Effects Academy Award in 1941, losing to the magnificent movie Thief of Baghdad. As for the rest of the Invisible Man series, I'm going to recommend anyone who wants just make up your own mind and watch them on your own. They, they all have their own strengths and weaknesses, but they're all worth a watch. The most horror one of the remaining bunch to me is the second to last, The Invisible Man's Revenge, which has like a sleazy vibe for a black and white movie. It reminds me a little of Hollow Man, but classier. Or even like a basic instinct feel. I don't think it's a great movie, but it's it's good, and it's a pretty peculiar and interesting one. I'm also not going to talk on this episode about Hollow Man, except to say it's got great stuff in it and really good performances, but I think it aged super badly and takes some really gross turns. Now, the 2020 Invisible Man was the last movie I saw before the first round of pandemic lockdowns, and it, it was a strangely sad last theater watch for me because... The audience reactions in the theater for that one were some of the best I ever witnessed. The paint can ladder scene, the hospital hallway massacre scene, and especially the restaurant scene, my God. I have never heard hundreds of people in the dark just gasp all at exactly the same time and then just hold it, not breathing. Just so memorable. And I recently showed the restaurant scene to a friend of mine who never ever watches horror movies and he told me the next day he couldn't sleep barely at all and when he did he had nightmares about it so this movie packs a little bit of a punch but i particularly want to shout out the ending of the movie which i think was the most perfect ending to a horror movie that year it had the right amount of gore just one perfectly placed word of dialogue during the final killing one word hissed out but just matter of fact like a knife And then this amazing sequence where Elizabeth Moss shows that she learned the strategies of gaslighting and false narrative building from her scumbag boyfriend and others so well that she can use those strategies back on the police at the end and on her best remaining friend, by the way, and just walk away, exiting the danger intact. And in a final exquisite touch, in a movie about being constantly under secret surveillance, looking and looking and looking all around you, eyes peeled, eyes bugging out of your head, but not being able to see your enemy. Moss just casually strolls away, stares right into the camera, lets out a relaxed breath, 
and just closes her eyes. Credits roll. Movie magic again. Same franchise, but 87 years later. Incredible. So to me, the Invisible Man franchise is long running from the roots of horror to the now of it with high quality films, great performances, great visuals (laughs) or lack thereof, music, special effects, thought provoking ideas, a franchise well worth horror fans time. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we want to thank the whole Horror Weekly community for helping us get this podcast back up on its feet, such as it is. And for just being you, this subject wouldn't have been nearly as interesting without the more than 20,000 comments about other franchises, big and small. Comments about the first time you saw Elm Street in the theater or how Phantasm scared the crap out of you as a kid or thoughtful threads asking, is the Invasion of Body Snatchers actually a franchise? Or a bunch of people fighting for the fly, too. I loved all of it. We can't do any of this without you. If you're not there already, we're at Horror Weekly on Facebook, both in page and group form, Hallow Weekly Pod on Instagram, and Hallow Weekly on Mastodon. And, and please consider subscribing to the podcast. It's brand new, and anything new needs support in its youth. There's not that many numbers yet. And the tech overlords judge podcasts by how they open pretty quickly. It, it would mean the world to us if you would consider doing it. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed yourselves and have a great horror week.